0: worked long hours let them let them understand that they have come to a place where all of those things are being forgotten all the all the temptations and all the trials and 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 all the things that they have gone through throughout the day are in the past let them understand that right now this moment that you are dwelling in their midst Christ and that they have an opportunity to learn about who you are the means of grace that you have given us, the preached word. So, Lord, I pray that your spirit will be with them. I pray your spirit will be with me. Keep me from error. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> the doctrine of God, uh, theology proper, is that's what we've been learning so far. Doctrine of God, theology proper. The doctrine of God is the most foundational to the Christian life. The doctrine of God is most foundational to the Christian's life. What we say about God touches every locus of theology. The doctrine of God shapes our theology. The doctrine of God shapes our piety. And the doctrine of God shapes our practice. When we say that humans are created in the image of God... We cannot understand that until we know something about God. When we speak of sin and redemption, we can only understand sin and redemption in light of what we say about God's justice and mercy and holiness. When we speak about Christ as truly God and truly man, we do so in light of our doctrine of God. So theology, our doctrine of God, is not purely theoretical. But there's always practical consequences to our theology. Meaning, I'm not telling you this stuff just for head knowledge. We're not teaching you these things just for you can put it in your theological bag and then go on the rest of your day. We teach you these things so you can worship God. They're not purely theoretical, but always Practical, meaning, our theology about God motivates, drives us to worship God. As you've heard before, theology leads to doxology. And no study, drives, no study should drive us to our knees more than the study of the infinite triune God of Scripture. The doctrine of God provides us with the ability to know God for how, for who he is and how he has revealed himself to us, but also while us knowing who he is, it also provides us with rest and insurance in who our God is. So we know who God is, but also God. the knowledge of God brings us rest and brings us comfort because we know who he is. Last week, we looked at the doctrine of divine simplicity, which says that God is not made up of parts like we are. God is not made up of essential parts, whether that be existence or or, or, um, essence, not accidental parts, whether that be his attributes or or body parts. Um, He's not made up of any of those things. Attributes do not give God something that he lacks in and of himself. God is not dependent on no one. He doesn't receive from no one, nor does he derive his being from someone else. I think that's pretty foundational. I think we all know that all that is in God is God. If you can remember one thing from simplicity last week, that's one thing I would remember is all that is in God is God. And friends, that's the great news of divine simplicity. Since God is self-sufficient, which is another basic claim of divine simplicity, if, since God is self-sufficient, then we can trust him to be our sufficiency. We worship our holy, incomprehensible, simple God because he is not like us. And saints, that's great news. We don't want a God that's like us. We want a God that's wholly other than us. We want a God who is simple, not in need of any, and doesn't lack because he does not have. And the doctrine of divine simplicity brings us much comfort. And the doctrine that we examine tonight will bring us much comfort as well. We now take what we learn from the doctrine of divine simplicity and we carry it with us as we consider tonight the immutability of God. Now, I know many of us already know what immutability means and praise God for that. But I hope tonight you will catch maybe some golden nuggets that you can add to your knowledge of immutability. Alongside the simplicity of God prior to the 18th century, and I said this last week, it would have been impossible to find a work of theology proper, the doctrine of God, that didn't give deep consideration to the immutability of God. Alongside the incomprehensibility of God, the simplicity of God, the immutability of God was step one in learning about who God is. The doctrine alongside incomprehensibility and simplicity was a starting block for Christians for many years. I would say nearly 2,000 years. Understanding this doctrine was central in understanding who God is. God's unchanging nature is what every Christian had to keep close to themselves and hear this as they moved on to learn about the rest of who God is. So whatever you say about God... This rule of God's unchanging nature cannot be violated. And like simplicity, the doctrine of immutability is not a doctrine that's unique to reformed theology. It's not necessarily a reformed doctrine. It's not a Calvinistic doctrine, but it's a Catholic doctrine. It's a doctrine that is that it's universally confessed by all those who hold to the classical orthodox view of God. Herman Bavinck. And you're going to be hearing a lot from Herman Bovink. Um, thank God for him. He's a, he's a 19th century Dutch theologian. If you don't know who Herman Bovink is, I suggest that you, you get one of his dogmatics. Um, and talk to me after and we'll talk more about him. But he says this. The doctrine of God's immutability, and hear this, is of the highest significance for religion. And hear what he says here. The contrast between being and becoming marks the difference between the creator and the creature. Every creature is continually becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving, seeks rest and satisfaction, and finds this rest in God, in him alone, for only he is pure being and no becoming. What Bobbing is saying is what separates God from his creation, what separates the creator from the creature is, is the fact that God does not change. And the fact that God does not change, he is our solid rock that we can depend on. He is pure being, incapable of being something that he isn't already. And I'll unpack that a little bit more. But that goes back to divine simplicity. If God is pure being, if he's pure actual, if all that is in God is God, then God can't lose or, or God, can't, God can't be something that he is not. Nothing can lessen in God. Nothing can heighten in God. Alongside Herman Bobbink, many in church history have held to the unchangelessness of God. Many regard the doctrine as an essential confession that one must hold to when speaking about the being of God. If we lose divine immutability, then the rest of what we say about God falls apart. So... When you read our confession of faith, and I hope that many of you have, if you look at our confession of faith and it says in chapter two of God and the Holy Trinity, they say many things about God. They say that God is the one living and true God who's infinite in being in perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit uh, without body parts or passions, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most holy. They go on and they say a lot of a lot about God. OK, mind you, that's not what they when they when our co- writers penned our confession of faith, they didn't just put all of these things about God as the, and, and and put them out there to the masses as theological filler. Just so they can say something about God that sounds nice and deep and profound and theological and rich and biblical. But all of these things are connected like 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 links connect on a chain. And if one of those links is loosened, then the rest of the chain falls apart. Let me give you an example. If we lose divine immutability, then we lose divine simplicity. If God can change, then he's not self-sufficient and absolute. So if you lessen one doctrine, you lose the other doctrine. If God can change and he's not self-sufficient and not absolute, if God can be something that he currently is not, if he can change, then there's something wrong with who he is. He must look for something outside of himself to be content with who he is. He must look for some sort of part, right? If we lose the doctrine of divine immutability, then we lose the eternity of God. If God can change, then God is no longer eternal, Because time is the measurement of change and motion is the measurement of change. So if we say that God is temporal, then we have to say that at one point he became creator, right? And was not eternally creator. Eternity demands immutability, not mutability, not change. If God can change and he's not eternal, but temporal. God transcends time, but hear this, but he doesn't change according to time. He doesn't allow time to change who he is in his being. The things that happen in time do not change God in his being. As you can see, the doctrine of, of God's immutability is central to whatever else we say about God. If we lose divine immutability in a nutshell, we lose that creator creature distinction. And if we lose that, then we lose God. That's that's what's at the heart of this, if we lose divine immutability. So tonight I want to give a basic layout of the doctrine and then some ways on how we can think about God and worship Him in light of this doctrine. And I'll do that in two points. The first point would be, what is divine immutability? And the second is our comfort in God's unchanging nature. So what is divine immutability? And the second is our comfort in God's unchanging nature. Um, and I will give you... All of the notes and I'm sorry, brothers who I text who want the notes, I will give you the notes tonight. Um, But if you want the notes, email me and I'll give you all the notes um, and you can just go from there. But let's ask what let's look at the first point. What is divine immutability, divine immutability? and, And many of you have heard this before. Um, especially if you came to the conference that was held when Sam Renahan came on impassibility, and impassibility is really a subset of immutability. If God can't change, then that means that God, is, God, God doesn't undergo change in Himself passionately. He doesn't go undergo emotional states like we do. Okay, when we say that God is immutable, we are we, we are saying that God does not change. That's the basic claim of the doctrine. God is immutable, meaning that God does not change. Louis Burkhoff gives a great definition of divine immutability in his systematic theology. And hear here what he says. Divine immutability as that perfection of God. Notice how he didn't say attribute of God, perfection of God. By which he does not change in his being, perfections, which is another word for attributes, purposes or promises. It is that perfection of God by which he does not change in his being in his perfections and purposes or promises. And that's a good working definition. And let's unpack that a little bit. Let's break each one of these down. First, he says that God does not change in his being. God is immutable In his being or essence, God is immutable in his being or essence. Our essence is our humanity. Now, we don't know what to call the essence of God. In fact, some even argue if God even has an essence. But let's just say for the sake of saying something, the Godness of God. Okay, that's what we can refer to as the essence of God, the Godness of God. In God's essence, there is no change. In who he is. In our humanity, we change every single day. Our essence in our humanity, we are constantly changing. That's who we are. We are creatures of change. We cannot not change. We change our hairstyles. Uh, In our being, we change our love toward people. We change our anger toward people. Externally some of you had didn't have tattoos now you had tattoos something changed in you. something changed uh, uh, about you what we are saying with respect to God is in God there is no change that happens either within himself or outside of himself there is no change that happens either within himself or outside of himself he is eternally constant and changeless. His nature and being are infinite, and so he is not subject to no mutilations. When you mutate, that means you change. You become something that you were not. God can't become something that he is not because all that is in God is God. He is pure actual. There is never a time when God was not. There There will never come a time when he shall cease to be. God has neither evolved or grown or improved. All that he is today, he has ever been and ever will be. There is no alteration in God. God is perfect in his being. There can't be any growth in God, nor development or change in who God is. But, but you might ask, why can't God change? Now, I understand that if we lose immutability, if we soften the doctrine up, then we lose all the other things that we say about God, all the classical orthodox things we say about God. I get all that, but what's the big deal about change? What's, so, what's, so, what's at stake? What's the, what's, what's the issue with saying that God can't change? When we say that God can't change, the reason why we say God can't change in his being is because all things that change cease to be what it is. All things that change cease to be what it is. The reason why we say God can't change is his being is perfect and pure and actual. So if God can change, hear this, if God can change, he either loses some of his divinity or he gains some of his divinity. He either loses something about himself or he gains more stuff about him or of him. That's what, that's why we say God can't change because, because change, anything that changes ceases to be what it was. God can change for better or worse for he is an absolute complete being. There is no potentiality in God to be something that he currently is not. There is no becoming in God. Why? Why? Because becoming is an attribute of creatures. We become things every single day. Potentiality is an attribute that's given with our essence. We will never reach a state of pure actuality. Meaning our being will always be changing. We will never be perfect. God is pure actuality. Let me break it down in layman's terms for you. Right now... I am not a carpet cleaner. I am giving a message. I am an elder. I am, I am a preacher, right? But when, but when 8 o'clock uh, comes and when the rooster is crowing near my window and my mom tells me to wake up, breakfast is ready, I have to put on my uniform, I drive, in my car, I drive in our van, I go to a work sh- uh, site and I am now a carpet cleaner. But when I am off work, I no longer am a carpet cleaner. I have the potential to be a carpet cleaner, but I am not a carpet cleaner. I haven't actualized it. But when I go to work, I actualize that potentiality that I have. And you can apply that to yourselves, right? Many of you are oil field workers. Well, you're not an oil field worker right now. You have the potential to be an oil field worker. But until you put that uniform on and you go to the workshop site... You are not an oil-filled worker. You have the potential to be an oil-filled worker. Does that make sense a little bit? What we're saying with God is there no, there is no potentiality in God to be something that he isn't already in himself. There is no potentiality in God to be something that he isn't, that he already, at, that he already is. He can't potentially be uh, good he can't potentially be all loving. He can't potentially be creator. He is those things. He is pure actuality. Pure actuality. And that's a that's big to, to note. God is pure actuality. God is perfect in his being. Again, Herman Bobbing says every change is foreign to God. In him there is no change in time, for he is eternal. Nor in location, for he is omnipresent, nor in his in his essence, for he is pure being. He is pure being. God is purely actual in all that he is. Any improvement or deterioration in God's being is impossible. That can't be said. That, can, that can't be said for us. We improve daily. We deteriorate. Even now, we are deteriorating right now, right? He is, as the Hebrews, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter thirteen, eight. God is this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no change in who He is. God says through the prophet Malachi in Malachi three six, "For I, the Lord, do not change." When God says, "For I, the Lord, do not change," He is giving a statement about His being, who He is. This is who I am. I do not change. Hebrews one. Verses 10 through 12 tells us, you, Lord, lay the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work in your hands. But hear this. They will perish, but you will remain. The heavens and the earth, the things that we think will last forever, those things will perish. God will remain the same. They will, wear, they will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. Now, that last part, he doesn't say, he's not, what he's not trying to convey to us is God is very old. God is timeless. God isn't old, and God isn't young, right? But God's years are unchangeable. They are un- immeasurable. Our days and years pass. In God, his today is eternity. You might say, well, why can't God have a today? Why can't God have a yesterday? Why can't God have a future? What's what's the big deal about God not having a today or a yesterday or a future? Friends, God can't have a today or a yesterday or a future because days require time. But God is timeless, right? You've been hearing that from Pastor Antonio. God is timeless. God transcends time. Todays and years require change, but yet, God is immutable. He can't change. And todays and years require motion or movement. But but God is not moved by yesterday, today, or the future. God doesn't age or decay. He is eternally immutable, eternally unchanging. Last biblical text of God's immutability, James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift, perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, God being the Father of lights, so he's making a connection here between God and light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No light is eternally bright. I spend a lot of money on light bulbs. No light can can no light lasts forever. Lights lose energy and over time its bright its brightness begins to lessen. There's a dullness that begins to happen inside that light. God is true light. The light in which men find healing and salvation. The light doesn't grow tired of shining. It doesn't it doesn't vary in its rays. It doesn't grow dim. It stays bright. There's no variation or shadow or change in this light. It's forever unchangeable. So God can change in his so God can change in his being. So God can't change in his being or his essence. His, his essence is immutable. He cannot change. Let's look at the second way in which God cannot change. Louis Burkhoff says God is immutable in his perfections or attributes. I'm going to be using those two words interchangeably. Perfections and attributes, so if you hear perfections, think attributes, if you think you hear attributes thinks perfections. the perfections of God are precisely the same now and will remain forever. We learned last week that since God is simple, then all of his attributes are identical with his essence. I said it again, since God is simple, all of his attributes all of his perfections are identical with his being, with his godness our attributes are not identical with our humanity. Love is not something that I have with my essence. It's something that I receive in addition to my essence. Love is not something that I receive with my essence. I wasn't born, you know, loving everyone, right? Because I I can, uh, I don't even want to know what I was born. I might've been born hating everyone, right? Um, but, but love wasn't, wasn't essential to, to my being. It was something that was given in addition to my being. So and you can separate my love and my humanity, my attributes and my essence. So when I say Isaiah is loving, Isaiah and love are not the same thing. There's not a one-to-one connection there, right? And also with you. You know, Ben is charming, but Ben and charming are not the same thing. Right? There's not a one-to-one connection there. There's, there are two separate things, subject plus predicate. Right? I'm loving. I'm not love. See the difference? I'm loving. I am loving. I'm not love. What we are saying with God is since God's attributes are identical with his essence, remember, all that is in God is God, he isn't a loving God. Rather, he is love. He isn't a loving God; He is love. God isn't love. God doesn't love by virtue of a property called love. Rather, it's in virtue of God that God loves. Does that makes sense. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not this property that's given in adi- of love that's given in addition to God's essence that causes God to love. It's in virtue of God and who He is that He loves. That's great. Encouraging, comforting news. So since love is something that's identical to God's essence and his being, and his being is unchanging, then that must mean God's love is unchanging. If God's attributes are, if his perfections are the same, if there is a one-to-one connection, you have attributes and you have his being. If they are on the same playing field, if they if 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 he is love, if he is his own love, and we know that as being, we know that who God is is unchanging, then that must mean that everything, all the attributes about God are unchanging. Love, goodness, grace, mercy, wisdom, power, that's great news. God's love, God, all those things about God do not change. The attributes of God can no longer change, and his deity can cease to be. Psalms 100 verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. His, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Saints, if you're here this morning, if you're wondering about the love of God, his love doesn't run out for you. He doesn't run out of love for you. There isn't a limit to God's grace or mercy toward his people. He's eternally, always, unchangeably kind to you. God's goodness, love, power, wisdom, all of his perfections do not grow stronger day by day, nor can they de- be diminished at any time. God's attributes, like his being, are eternal and immutable, unchanging. They had no beginning. They will have no ending. And they do not change. Again, Malachi three six, God says to Israel, For I, the Lord, do not change. And hear this. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. If you ever wonder about the love of God and his faithfulness to you, read Malachi 3.6 and just ponder that. The context of this verse is the people have changed. Israel has changed. Israel's love and trust in God has changed they're changing their uh, their allegiance um, from God to God, from God to their, their pagan overseers. They don't feel that God is for their good, and throughout the whole book of Malachi, they question the goodness, love, and justice of God. But here in Malachi three six, God pulls back the veil and he and he he. Reveals to them his being and who he is he reveals to them that yes, I am God and I do not change Therefore my love for you has not changed You have not quenched my love just because you are being unfaithful to me Just because you have been faithless to me doesn't negate my faithfulness to you I remain faithful. Why because I do not change And what's the evidence that god gives in regard to this, to his unchangelessness Hear this, for he says, for I, the Lord, do not change. This is the evidence. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You, you, you want, the fact that I haven't wiped you out testifies that I haven't changed. The fact that I haven't completely... The, the fact that I haven't poured out the full measure on my, of my wrath upon you now testifies that i do not change i do not change therefore you were not consumed my love and kindness and goodness toward you hasn't changed and that's great news for us saints he's not just talking about israel here because israel is a reflection of us in malachi we change constantly and day by day our views of god are changing when we go through something does god love me Is God putting me through this because he's trying to discipline me or or, or what's going on here? No, read Malachi 3.6. God does not change. But in this process of you going through whatever you're going through, he's sanctifying you and and conforming you more to the image of his son. He does not change. God should have wiped us out a long time ago. But he does not change. He is faithful to who he is. He cannot lie to himself. God does not change. His grace and mercy toward us is eternal and unchanging. Let's now look at the last point or last way in which God is unchanging. And God is is immutable in his will. God is immutable in his will, purposes, right? In his purposes, his decrees. I'm going to be saying will, decree, purpose, all interchangeably. So if you hear purpose, think of decree. If you hear decree, think of plan. If you hear plan, think of will. God's will never varies or changes. Whatever God decrees, whatever he plans will not change. But what he has purposed will come to pass. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither a son of man that he should repent. God doesn't repent in anything that he does. He doesn't, he doesn't will something to happen and then scratch his head and say, ah, oh, man, why did I do that? First Samuel fifteen twenty nine says, "The strength of Israel, the strength of Israel being God, will not lie or repent, nor repent, for He is not a man that He should repent." God's purposes never alter. Listen to the writer. Listen to the listen to the, what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter six seventeen and eighteen. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable nature of His purpose unchangeable his purpose his wills is one with his nature meaning that his purpose and wills are unchangeable he guaranteed it with an oath god can, god can't go back on his oath so that so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for god to lie god can't go back on his word he can't go back on his oath We who have fled from refuge for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to hope set before us. If you if you wonder about the future, if you're wondering about God's will for your life and and if everything in your life will turn out all gravy, you know, and, and and all good, read this, because this is what gave the people in the book of Hebrews hope. What gave them hope? God's unchanging nature and his unchanging purposes, his unchanging will. His will is one with his nature. His nature is unchanging. Therefore, he is unchanging. Now, you might say at this point, and I had to deal with this, you are just reading the, you're just, I understand that God doesn't change, but you're just reading the verses that say that God doesn't change. What about the verses that say that God does change? There's actually more verses that speak of God changing than there is not changing. What do we do about the verses that say that God does change and God does repent? Genesis 6, 6. And the Lord regretted that he made man on earth and it grieved him in his heart. But, so we have two things going on here. First, God changes. And also, too, that God's showing passion. So we, are we, in this verse right here, we're losing divine immutability and we're also losing the subset of that divine impassibility. Exodus thirty two fourteen, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing, his, bringing on his people. The Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on, bringing on his people. Remember the story of Jonah? After, after the repentance of, of the people of Nineveh, Jonah 3, 10 says, When God saw what they have did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them and did not do it. Wait, so God said that he was going to destroy Nineveh, but then he doesn't destroy them. Did God change his plan in any way? What's going on there? Is there a change that's happening? How do we reconcile these texts in light of the other texts that say that God doesn't change? Does scripture contradict itself? The answer is this, saints, and this is, I can do a whole month on these things, but when, when speaking of how God decrees and how God plans, wills, purposes things, when speaking about how God decrees show itself in time, follow me here, God frequently accommodates his language to our limited capacities. When God when, when the Bible speaks of how God's plans, God sets a plan, right? And then that plan shows itself in time. When the Bible speaks of those things, God frequently accommodates his language to our limited capacities. So when Genesis, in Genesis 6, 6, when it says that God, the Lord, regretted all that he had made, that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart, that is a statement about how God's decree is showing itself in time. Right? Because we know that God's decree, what he plans cannot change. However, what when that decree, when that plan shows itself in time, change happens. So we can say this, God is immutable, his the the the, the actions of his will and purposes are mutable. They change. What we don't want to do, though, is we don't, want to, we don't want to look at a text and say, well, wait a minute, it says that God changed. And we can't make a one-to-one connection between the change that's happening in the text and change in God. There's not a change that's happening ontologically in God in His being. What's happening is the manifestation, the revelation, the demonstration of His purpose in time. That's the change that's happening. God, when in Genesis 6, 6... God is not mad at himself that he made men. He is not grieved at his heart. For we've, we've already read in 1 Samuel 15:29, the strength of Israel will not lie or repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. That, friends, is a statement about God's being. What we have in Genesis 6, 6 is a statement about God's activity and his decree. Statements about God's being take precedence over statements about God's activity. We have to interpret all the statements about God's activity and him changing in light of who he is. God is not mad at himself that he made men. He's not greed at his heart. What what is God doing here in Genesis 6, 6 then? He's accommodating his language to our language and how we think and talk. If God were a man, this is what would happen. This is how how he would feel. God is using our language to demonstrate the sin and wickedness that was on the earth. Genesis 6 6 shows us how much God hates sin and how we, and teaches us how we are to hate our sin. The statements about God changing, hear this, the statements about God changing don't teach us anything about the being of God not one thing about the being of God. Rather, it reflects how God has eternally decreed to demonstrate his plans and purposes in time. When every time we hear something about God relenting or God changing his mind, it's not, we're not, they're, not, they're not speaking about the being of God. Rather, it's speaking about God's activity in that time, in space. God has decreed for change to happen, but there's not a change that happens in God. God's decrees are one with his being. And all that God has planned and purpose will not change. Let me put this another way so you guys can get this point. Any change that occurs, whether in the Bible or in present time, any change that occurs that we see in the Bible do not reflect the being of God, but it reflects, again, how God has willed for his purpose to play out. Okay? Okay? So in summary, the doctrine of divine immutability teaches us that God doesn't change in any way that's possible. God doesn't change in his being. God is perfect in all that he is. God's attributes don't change. His love for us doesn't fluctuate like ours does. One day he doesn't, One day he loves us and one day he doesn't. You know, he's not alfalfa. His love for us does not change. And lastly, his decree does not change. His plans are never altered. His will doesn't change. Now let's look at how do we live in light of this doctrine? What do we do? How do we respond to this glorious doctrine of God's immutability? And like I told you last week, the one thing we do is we worship God. That's the only thing we can do. We worship God in light of this wonderful truth that we have explored tonight. We worship God for he is not like us. Friends, the history of us in Adam is we are constantly changing. Because of sin, we change. We are easily blown by the wind. We are never stable. We are shifty creatures. God says in Malachi 3:7, "From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have, and have not kept them." In the context, God is saying this of Israel, but friends, this is us as well. From the very days of Adam. We have turned aside from God and his law. We have turned aside from, from God and his holy, infinite, simple being and chose to worship worldly idols. Every day we have to battle our flesh. And, 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 and our allegiance is always changing from, from God to ourselves. We, day by day, are so inconsistent, are we not? One day we are on, like the old people like to say, we are on fire for God. And then the next day we are not. One day we love reading our Bible and we love learning and the next day we are dull and we don't want to read anymore. We are constantly changing. But friends, praise God that he is not like us. Praise God for he is the complete opposite of who we are. 2 Timothy 2:13 If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God can't be God he can't be faithless. He can't be faithless to us. Why? Because he's the Lord that changes not. Because he's the Lord that doesn't change. That's why he can't deny who he is. He is not—he's he, not faithless. He's not faithful in virtue of always being counted on. But he's—but he is faithful. That's just who he is. That's—that's that's who he is. His love endures forever. He doesn't run out of grace and mercy toward his people, saints. If you've—if you've come, if you've come here this evening, questioning god questioning his goodness questioning his love let this doctrine of divine immutability be a solid comfort to your fragile souls human nature cannot be relied upon but god can your friends even some of your best friends have let you down your family members your moms and dads your sisters have let you down your bosses and coworkers have let you down. But God will never let you down. He's incapable of letting you down. However unstable I may be and in and of myself, all the times that I am in, inconsistent with God's word and and learning and praying and, and 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 striving to know more about him, God is constant in his being and who he is. I can look to him to be my refuge, to be my solid rock. However fickle my friends may prove, God changes not. In God, if God in any way, if he changed or or varied like we do, if he willed one thing today and changed it tomorrow, saints, how can we even trust him? If God is mutable, how can we trust God? That's not a God that we can depend on and put all of our faith on for he would be unstable just as unstable as we are if god can change but friends god is not subject to change he's not subject to alteration or mutation after adam fell in genesis 3 god made a promise that he would send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent and throughout the darkness of the old testament that's filled of lies and that's full of adultery God never changed his promise. God was faithful to the promise that he made in Genesis 3.15. He was faithful to that decree that he, that he set before the foundation of the world. That the skull crushing seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. And by doing that, he would enter into his rest on the behalf of his people and bring all of his sons to glory. He remained faithful. God remained faithful to the promise that he swore long ago. And as we open the book of Malachi, we read the genealogy of Jesus Christ. But, but more so, that genealogy of Jesus Christ are not just, are not just uh, um, information or facts about the lineage of Christ. But, but more so, it's screaming that the God that made a promise in Genesis 3.15 has fulfilled it in Jesus Christ. And Christ takes on all of the types and shadows and promises of the Old Testament age. And he fulfills them in and of himself. He dies on the cross for us and he rises for our justification. And right now he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us while putting all enemies under his feet. God made a promise long ago and he kept his promise. Saints, remain faithful to God because God has remained faithful to you. Do not change in your opinion of God because God's opinion of you has not changed. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and God does not see you as you are in Adam, he sees you in Christ. Hold on to that truth. Lock it inside of you. Sink it deep down into the marrow of your bones. When the mighty waves of life and temptation come to sweep you off your feet, Saints, stand on the simple, unchanging rock. Who is the God that we serve? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us here by your grace. I pray, Lord, that that made some sense to your people, and I pray that although at some points it was heady, at some points we had to dive into the deep waters of your ocean to understand your simple being, I pray that it was all worth it. and I pray that... Lord, just as I was ministered and studying and as I prepared and, and was writing on my iPad and, and all the times I just had to stop and thank you for being not like me but being unchanging. I pray that your, your saints will, will feel that too. It's not a feeling though, God. It's an objective truth that you do not change. The promises that you made a long ago, you kept them in Christ. And even now your promises will not change. Thank you for being unchanging. Thank you for being not like us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.